New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today, I'm hosting Dr. David Hanscom. He's the author of Back in Control, A Spine Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. David, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. David, I'd like to talk about something I know that's dear to your heart, how schools can actually help us in educating our kids in coping with stress and anxiety. It's something that you've really experienced has never been taught to you, even all the way through medical school. There was nothing, no course that you ever took all the way into your adult life. And now you think that this could be of help. So can you talk about this? Well, I deal with a lot of chronic pain. And it's very clear that there's a very high correlation of chronic pain with what's called the ACE score, A-C-E, This stands for Adverse Childhood Events. It's a very strong correlation between the different types of abuse and chronic pain. And I don't like the word dysfunctional families because it implies that there are actually functional families. Well, every human being has dysfunction. It always gets manifested in families, and there's no exceptions to that. We're not going to solve dysfunctional families. But in the school system, we have an opportunity to actually create stress coping tools. In fact, your dysfunctional family becomes your opportunity to actually practice the skills. I think the number one thing in life that determines success is your ability to handle stress. And we look at accomplishments, we look at academics, we look at athletics as ways to become successful. The one thing I've observed in my own life and people around me that are successful is their ability to withstand stress. I've seen many high-level valedictorians, medical school classmates, go all the way through, then they buckle and they can't handle the stress. Or a lot of people can't even get into the graduate school because they can't handle stress. So your number one ability to be successful in life is to bring on adversity and become successful in dealing with that. There's no point in time in our school system that we're taught how to manage stress. Somehow I'm reminded of an old interview that we did with uh, Helena Norberg-Hodge. And she was researching the school system's in Ladakh, northern India. And what she noticed about those school systems, unlike ours, where we take all the kids of the same age and we put them all in the same grade. And so they're kind of all in the same developmental stage. But in that school system, they put all the kids together, like kind of like that old one-room schoolhouse, you know? And so the older kids would help the younger kids. They were very compassionate to one another. They were helpful. When the younger toddlers would fall over, the older kids would help them and pick them up, or they'd teach them other skills. And they learned that kind of deep connection with one another. And that's kind of what you're talking about, isn't it, in some way? Can Can you expand on that? Well, I feel like right now we're doing the opposite. So all of us come from dysfunctional families. We're now put into a setting where the dysfunction gets magnified. So we talk about the school system being a socialization process. What we're doing, we're putting kids into an environment that even if you come from a fairly compassionate family, 
you become a target for kids who come from dysfunctional families that are even more dysfunctional, and it's a survival. And what we're teaching is dysfunctional survival skills. We're not teaching socialization skills. And to learn to, first of all, cope with your own stress, to cope with your own anxiety and frustration is number one, that allows you to interact with your classmates and simply teaching kids from kindergarten on how to be kind to each other, how to deal with their own anxiety, how to deal with their own frustration would make a tremendous difference. The bullying problem is a huge problem because what drives bullying, by the way, is anxiety. So all of us have anxiety, particularly a first grader who is in a new environment, out of home, lots of anxiety is separating from the family, et cetera. So anxiety is very level in a first grader, correct? Well, instead of teaching them skills how to cope with anxiety, they have to survive and they become tough. Well, tough works for a while, but it's not very compassionate. I was really disturbed this week to read about this one girl who committed suicide because it was horrible that she was raped by three teenage boys. That's horrible. But to me, what was even more disturbing, instead of her classmates rallying to her side and supporting her, they piled on. They labeled her. They trashed her and she committed suicide. That's even more disturbing than the original event. Now, when we think of bullying, we're thinking of like that tough guy that hits another. But what you're talking about, there's another kind of abuse going on here in bullying, and that's this verbal abuse, which is kind of more unseen, but it's devastating. Correct. Can say something about that. Well, we're looking to our classmates for approval, which means you're giving power to your classmates. So remember, the antidote to anxiety is control. The more power you have, the more control you have. So the more anxious a person is, the higher the likelihood that they're going to be a bully. So being a bully is the most cowardly act in the human existence. You take another human being who's vulnerable, somehow the bullies sniff those people out, and then it can be settled, just not accepting them into the group, or just a comment or two here or there, or not being supportive when you just get raped, for goodness sakes. Where's the support? Where's the compassion? And then unfortunately, the kids that could be compassionate how are they going to have the courage to stand up to people that are beating on this person? The whole environment of our school system is creating very, very dysfunctional people. Behavioral patterns that are put into place during grade school and high school are permanent. Those are permanent pathways. And if we think we're going to solve... Now, say something more about that when you say they're permanent pathways. Expand that. Well, I went to this Hoffman Institute which is an eight-day process in Napa Valley. And Hoffman is H-O-F-F-M-A-N, Hoffman Institute. Correct. And my viewpoint of it is a little simplistic. From ages zero to 12, you simply get downloaded with your environment's patterns, mostly your parents. Some of them are positive, but many of them are very negative. So attitudes, anxiety, frustration, belief systems, all those get downloaded into your brain. So from ages zero to 12... You're downloaded with your mother's patterns and your father's patterns and the school and your classmates. Those are permanent pathways. From ages 12 on, as you move forward in life, you either adopt those patterns or you reject those patterns, but the patterns are still running the show, period. Until you become aware of the patterns that are running the show and detach from them and reprogram, you are not who you really are. So what Hoffman allowed me to do is connect with what I call my authentic self, allow me to be who I am and become centered. The tools are not hard to learn. 
it's not a major life philosophy. You simply look at your life in terms of stimulus and response. They teach compassion. They teach perspective. And if that could be taught in kindergarten and first grade, it would completely change the process. <clears throat> so it would be wonderful if those pathways that were laid down this first 12 years were functional pathways. Right. But by definition, they cannot be laid down by the family because their patterns are laid down by their parents. Right. They're not going to break the wheel of it. Right. So everybody sort of bemoans the fact that we can't change our society by getting into the family. So in other words, people keep saying, well, we're going to solve the problem by changing the family. We can't change the family, number one. Second of all, we really shouldn't try to change the family to solve the problem. In other words, life is adversity. Your family's patterns are adversity. So what? So you learn to cope with adversity, you become a stronger person. Right. That's where school is a huge opportunity to take your family's dysfunction and actually use it as an opportunity to learn the skills. So what are some of the tools that we could give, let's say, a first grader to start to learn how to cope with stress and anxiety? Well, in chronic pain, we've learned that pathways are permanent. You're not going to solve them. What you want to do is separate from the pathways. So the one tool that we use to start the whole process with is simply writing down the negative thoughts or frustrations and simply turn off the piece of paper. It's an individual process. Nothing could be easier. You can draw the pictures. Several of my colleagues now have their kids in elementary school writing things down and throwing them away. It's just transformed their family. And you don't do it as a behavioral thing. It's like brushing your teeth. You're not trying to solve problems with the writing. You're simply brushing your brain, so you're so not to speak. writing out like, well, I think this, so I should be doing this. It's not like that. You're writing just the actual thoughts, the, the actual, actual frustrations, anxieties, crazy. I'm thoughts. really mad at Jimmy because he hit me. Well, I had a friend of mine who had a son who's nine years old and very well adjusted kid, beautiful family. And every human being has negative thoughts. So this this person, if there ever is a functional family, this would be the functional family. And he's athletic, he's a good-looking kid, lots of friends, very social. And his father suggested, why don't you draw a picture of yourself with these thoughts? He draw a picture, and these little circles said, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, nobody likes me. And this person's the center of the class. So these negative thoughts are universal. It's just the way the human experience is. And if we try to use all this self-esteem to counteract those thoughts, that's not going to work. Simply writing down the actual thoughts you're trying to suppress, this came out of Harvard. Dr. Wegner in 1987 published a paper called White Bears. The harder you try to suppress a thought, the stronger it becomes. We all know that. But he also demonstrated that the harder you try to suppress the thought, there's a trampoline effect that not only do you think about it more, you think about it a lot more. Dr. Burns talks about, in his book, Feeling Good, about automatic negative thoughts. I always wondered why you don't have automatic positive thoughts. It never made sense to me when I started this writing project. Right. We're not suppressing positive thoughts. We're fighting these negative thoughts. So they're more prevalent because we're suppressing them. Right. And it's sort of who you're not. I wrote a little yeah. website post called Your Demons Are Robots. So you take some crazy thought 30 years ago. Of course, you sweep it aside. And it recurs you know, intermittently over the years. But it's like a parasite that got lodged in your system that eventually grows to be this monster. Well, it's like talking to a psychiatrist now about your demons. That's actually who you're not. Why would you have suppressed it in the first place, number one? Second of all, it's like talking to a psychiatrist about unlearning how to ride your bicycle. It makes no sense at all. That's why anxiety gets worse as you get older, just by repetition. 
fact, the more of a well-intentioned person you are, the higher the chance you're going to suppress negative thoughts. So dark people don't suppress so much. So in the writing and then the tearing it up or burning it or getting rid of it, that's a physical act. That's not just a psychological act. It's more than that, isn't it? Well, anxiety is really not psychological. It's a mental reflex. Something causes anxiety and you automatically react. It's just a reflex. It's just a pathway. Now, lots of emotions come out of that reflex, but you're not writing to control the thoughts or to fix the thoughts. You're just separating from the thoughts. That's it. You're just writing to write. You just write to write, and you're separating from the thought because you're writing it down and throwing it away? Is that helpful? What, what's happening there? Well, you created a space. In other words, it's the thoughts on a piece of paper, you're a certain distance away from that piece of paper. That space. You're actually physically a distance away. So Correct. You felt writing it with your hand. Correct. So that space is now connected with vision and feel. Somehow the brain separates from it. And the circuits are permanent. Those circuits, in other words, I'm ugly or I'm stupid, those thoughts aren't going away. They're in there forever. But as they come up, they lose their power. When you write down the actual thought you're trying to suppress, somehow it de-energizes the circuit. Now, I honestly don't know yes. exactly how that yeah, works, right. but it's just, for me, yes. it's just something I've been doing for 15 years. I ran across it by pure dumb luck, but it's absolutely transformed my life. Now, if you started this 15 years ago, is it something that's still part of your life? Do you still do it, or do you have to keep doing it, or can you learn it and then you're kind of arrived and you you don't have to do it anymore? I mean, it's really just like brushing your teeth. I mean, the last couple of months I quit writing myself, and my wife starts to go, honey, don't you think you should start to write again? But I become more reactive. And it's just it's really just something you do, really like brushing your teeth, three to five minutes a day. It's not hard to do. If you wake up at night and can't sleep, the fastest way to go back to sleep is simply write down the things you're thinking about that are keeping you awake. So as your mind spins with these racing thoughts, when you write down the actual racing thoughts, it breaks up the circuit somehow. So for you, you're letting your body give you the clue to go back to your original activity that really helps. Right. I've had many mind-body syndrome symptoms myself, like migraine headaches, ringing in my ears, burning in my feet. And what's happened the last six weeks, I had the headaches come back, had a little skin rash come back on my hands. So my body becomes my feedback loop. Even though I may not feel, I've been a little bit more anxious, haven't slept quite as well. I had quit doing the writing. So yeah, I'm writing hard and today I'm feeling much better. Yeah. Well, Dr. Hanscom, I just thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe today. Thank you very much for having me on board. I've been speaking with Dr. David Hanscom. He's the author of Back in Control, A Spine Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. And if you'd like to check him out on his website, you can go to his website, back-in-control.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and I thank you for joining us in the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you to please join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a 1,000 hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org.
New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.